the audacity to claim that they believed in God. If they examined the way they lived, who would dare say that? To, to believe, you think, to believe in a Christian sense, to actually, this is why Nietzsche said there was only ever one Christian and that was Christ. To have the audacity to claim that means that you live it out fully. And that's an, that's an unbearable task in some sense. To be able to accept the structure of existence, the suffering that goes along with it and the disappointment and the betrayal and, and to nonetheless act properly, right? To aim at the good with all your heart, right? To, to dispense with the malevolence and your desire for destruction and revenge and all of that and to face things courageously and to tell the truth, to speak the truth and to act it out. That's what it means to believe. That's what it means. It doesn't, it doesn't mean to state it. It means to act it out. And unless you act it out, you should be very careful about claiming it. And so I've never been comfortable saying anything other than I try to act as if God exists because God only knows what you'd be if you truly believed. I mean, if you think about it in some sense, that's the central idea in Christianity is that if you were capable of believing, it would be a transfiguring event, a truly transfiguring event. And I know people experience that to one degree or another, but we have no idea what the limit of that is. We have no idea what the possibility is within each person if they lived a life that was maximally courageous and maximally truthful. Makes you think. Makes you think. I think the, the idea behind the series following Jesus, I, I think I extended week one into about three weeks and I was just simply trying to make that point that anybody can say they're a Christian. Anybody can say, I follow Jesus. Anybody can get baptized. Any of these acts are actually incredibly simple to do. But actually following is incredibly difficult. And I think we do well by starting and stating that we aren't doing it well. And that's okay. That's okay. Are you with, are you with me? It's, instead of just just repeating over and over again how wonderful of Christians that we are, maybe it would be better to, to pull back and have some humility and say, man, that's a tall order. I mean, following Jesus is a tall order. But that's still the aim of my life. And wouldn't it be better if we did that and failed at it a lot? And wouldn't it be better if that was our goal and our ideal, that this is what we're trying to do? And, and, and by the way, I feel like this is going to be a stretching series all the way to Easter. It's going to be hard. But it's just like pastoring is a little bit like parenting. I mean, sometimes you just you, you, you toughen up with the kids a little bit, and sometimes you go easy on them. And none of us know exactly when to do which. Is this true? I mean, it's true, right? Sometimes you're just like, I just got to get tough on you. You got to, and then sometimes you just, like, like today, like I just had to get here. So mom said, stop giving her the princess bandages because we're running out of them. And this morning 
I don't care. Here, just have one. I got to get it. And as soon as I got a princess bandage on, everything was fine. We could get in the car and we could go. But there are times you got you to teach people something. No, this is not the time. This is the way. And I think it's okay for a few weeks for us to say, honestly, honestly, what does it mean to follow Jesus? The word we studied or we talked about was repent, to reorient your life. And, and I started the whole series. I'm just going to repeat it, and, and I won't keep saying it, but I think it's worth saying is that I don't know that I'm doing it well. When I stopped and I looked and I said, I'm not sure. I'm really do- I don't think I'm making all of my decisions through the lens of, is this following Jesus? Do you know, by the way, Jesus never in the Gospels asked anyone to worship him? Worth noting. Because you would think with well, the way modern-day Christianity is that that's what he said all the time. Worship me, worship me, please, everybody worship me. It really feels good to me when you worship me. He never once asked anyone to worship him. But he did repeatedly ask people to follow him. So I think it would be good for us to spend some weeks talking about what would that look like today. Um, We are... uh, we're, we're followers by nature. We're follow, that, that's just how we are. We look for models. You may not realize that you do this, but this is human nature. Um, we took Charlie down to, uh, to, to Disney World because she follows princesses. But you don't, you don't you know, get her up one morning and say, hey, Charlie, I think it would be really good if you modeled your life after Cinderella. They just do. They see it, and then you can literally, I can watch her. She's watching a movie, and she sees one of these characters doing something. She will do the same thing with her hair or put on makeup or whatever it is that she thinks that they're doing. It's human nature. We all do this. Uh, I I think I have a picture to show you. Here's Charlie at at Disney getting to see uh, one of her princesses, right? This is Tiana, Um, in case, you know, you need to get updated. uh, uh, There are more. Um, and, and there's another one. This, this is Charlie looking at, I believe it is Cinderella, and she's got, her, she's got her Cinderella dress on, and she's looking up. And the reason I wanted you to see this picture is because we all look up to somebody. It's human nature. And we look up to somebody, and then we want to be them. We want to be like them. When I was a kid, I looked up to Muhammad Ali. That's who I looked up to. I looked up to Sugar Ray Leonard. That's who I looked. I carried around a picture of Sugar Ray Leonard in my gym bag. Sports Illustrated with a frame. You can laugh at me, but you did the same thing in a different form. That's, if it makes you feel better to laugh at me, have at it. Happy Sunday. All right? This is how we live our life. And so we, we pick a model. We pick Someone, now, as a young boy growing up in Flint, Michigan, I picked these guys because I thought they were tough, and I thought it was good to be tough. That's just what I thought. And so, nothing wrong with that. That's probably what an average, healthy, teenage, young boy does. Pre-teen boy, I, was, I want to be tough. And I wanted to be a hero in the sense that I wanted to hit people in the mouth. 
In my head, I thought that was heroic. I mean, at that age, it somewhat is. I mean, you get into a, have you ever been in a boxing ring? I mean, there's no one to hide behind. You can't say, well, the left tackle didn't cover me. There is no left tackle. It's just you and the other guy going blows. And so at that age, it is courageous. Then you mature and you realize there's other things that you could dedicate your life to. And plus, you'd like to be able to think when you're past 50. <laughs> but this is what we do. We have models. And I want to talk to you about living a heroic life. And I want to talk about following Jesus. And to do so, I want to dive a little deeper. Hopefully, I matured over the years. And I didn't spend the rest of my days trying to be Sugar Ray Leonard, who I learned early on I was not going to be. But I started to pick other role models. And a thing happens when you do. You're just curious about their life. I don't know if you've ever had one, but I started to learn more about Dr. Martin Luther King. And you start learning things, and I, you just get curious. Like, I, I got curious about what kind of school did he go to, and what kind of student was he, and I, I, I found transcripts of his grades, and I got kind of nerdy into it. Anybody get nerdy into stuff? So for, for a few minutes today, we're going to get nerdy into Jesus. I'm not coming back over here today. We're going to get nerdy, and I mean, we're going to like dive a little deeper. Anybody went, oh, yeah, I'm staying over here today. I like this side. Uh, I, you guys are better. You are better. Um, and and we, we have to learn some things. I, I remember when I went, uh, one, of the, one of the other role models, that I started to pick up things um, from leaders around the world, people that had changed the world people that had lived courageous and heroic lives. And you start to learn, well, this is where they lived, and this is, this is where they grew up. And one time I had a chance, I was with Pastor Brighton, we were in South Africa, and I got to go to Nelson Mandela's home where he grew up. And it was just like, I, I want to go there. I don't know that I, it's going to make me any more heroic. I don't know it's going to make me a more courageous person, but I had to go when I had the chance. Is it, would anybody do it? Man, this is a guy that... This is a guy that changed the world. What was it? Uh, my math is, but around 20-some years in Robben Island prison for doing nothing wrong. And then when he gets out, he doesn't get, like I would be by then so foaming mad. Does anybody foam when they get mad like me? I would have been so foaming mad after 20 years. I would have taken a swing at anything I would have seen coming. And he had all that power, and people put him into power, and he could have exacted power. And what did he do? He what? Brought peace and forgiveness. Man, I could learn something from that guy. So today, we're going to learn something from a guy called Jesus of Nazareth. In Mark chapter 8, um, Jesus said, he warned them. He said, watch out. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Today, I want to talk to you about Herod. And if I can, I want to teach you a little bit. And I think we might have, are we going to have a whiteboard up here? Oh, okay. I think we're going to bring this up here. Okay. Oh, I thought it was wheels. Oh, it's no wheels. Here, babe. Let me help you. Yeah. There we go. Can we see it good? Can you guys see it good? Can you guys? No, I don't care. 
I told you I would not be good locked up for 20 years. I told you. Uh, so we got to learn something about Herod. Do you mind five minutes of learning and then we'll... That one better. Herod the Great. We learned about him a few weeks ago. Herod the Great is the Herod that you read about when you read of the Herod that's jealous of a newborn king in Matthew's gospel. And he goes and he slays the innocents. Remember this story? Okay. That's Herod the Great. I mean, Cleopatra, I mean, the whole, the whole thing. Crazy soap opera. Herod the Great. Okay. This Herod that we just read about, so it could be confusing. That's why I'm doing five minutes of teaching is not Herod the Great. Herod the Great is now dead. Everybody look here? He's no longer alive. Herod the Great had lots of kids, lots of wives, lots of kids. Works out that way. This Herod that you read about, his name is Herod Antipas. One, two, three. Herod Antipas. Prize students. Antipas. So one of his children. When Herod died, he had a will. And he was powerful. He was tight with the people in Rome. He was, the, no, he, was, he was given the title king, which wasn't given to a lot of people. And so he, he worked his way through the political system, and he ruled all over what we now think of as Israel. And uh, Herod the Great, as he was dying, did a few things. Um, had one of his sons killed, as you do when you're dying. <laughs> Worried he might have got too much of the, the share. Nice guy, right? And then at the last minute, he changed his will around. And when he changed his will around, he divided up his kingdom. He was going to give it to one of the kids, and then he had a second thought. And at the very last minute, he split it all up. And this is how he split it up. Now, I'm telling you this for a reason. I hope it helps, but this is what Israel kind of, this is the Sea of Galilee, okay? And this down here would be the Dead Sea. This is the Jordan River. This is the river that feeds in. And this is the Sea of Galilee. So far, so good? Now, um, when Herod died, he split all of his land into sections. And he divvied it, divvied it up amongst his kids. This particular section, I'm going to do this roughly, all right? was called Galilee. Anybody heard of this? Galilee. This is, they refer to it as the Sea of Galilee, all right, even though it's fresh water. This is Galilee. This was a political area, and this will become important for a minute, in a minute when you'll see. Galilee was, and an area down here, was given to Herod Antipas. Now, the big prize would have been down here, the city of Jerusalem. He didn't get the big prize. Just a little historical side note. After Herod dies, the sons get on ships and sail to Rome because they were so sad about losing their father. 
No. Because they wanted a bigger piece of the pie. Nice kids, those Herods. Anybody have a family like that in your neighborhood? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> nice. Boy, those Herod kids, they're something sweet. They all go to Rome, and they fight over the will that had been changed at the last minute. And, of course, Caesar, you know, has to ratify. And so he decides, and he goes, nope, you get Galilee and this little piece down here, and you will be known as Herod the Tetrarch. There's a word we got to learn today. We're just going to learn for a minute. One, two, three, Herod the Tetrarch. Does anybody know what Tetrarch means? Of course not, because we read our Bibles, but we don't really read them. We just go, I don't know. No, well, why, why, does that doesn't mean anything. It's just not. Give me a good verse I can put on the fridge. Does anybody have Herod the Tetrarch on your fridge? No. Tetrarch means ruler of a fourth. What a powerful name. Anybody sense a little bitterness? You can hold my calls. You can hold them. I, got I love the ringtone. I do. A little Hawaiian service today. He's a tetrarch. So every time you read that, and it's in the Gospels, you read Herod the Tetrarch, it's just a little bit of a dig. He went all the way to Rome, sailed there, not only so he could get more land, but so he could get the title king, which would have been a huge upgrade. And he didn't get the upgrade. He got, you're the ruler of a fourth. Could anybody see a little angst brewing here? Now when you read the Gospels, now that you know this, this is the Herod of the Gospels. This is the Herod that has John the Baptist beheaded. This is the Herod that Jesus is sent to during his trial. It's that. This is that Herod. The Herod the Great's gone. He died right around the time Jesus was born, shortly after. This, is, this guy ruled for 40-some years. Herod Antipas, Herod the Tetrarch, Herod the ruler of a fourth. Herod, can I say, the wannabe. People are not good and nice when they're wannabes, are they? Hmm? Anybody work for a wannabe? No, no. <laughs> Anybody work with a wannabe? I mean, they're not nice people because they're always wanting something that they don't have. And so they start doing things. I, I mean, I, I couldn't help. I couldn't help but notice the parallel in our modern-day news with a guy, a wannabe ruler in Russia who just wants more territory because he just wants something. Wannabe. They don't turn into nice people, and they don't do nice things. They don't do nice things. And someone has to stand up to these people. Courageous people have to stand up to them. Heroic people have to stand up to them. He's the anti-hero of the Jesus story. Little city over here. We'll see here. This is where Jesus grew up. This is Nazareth. All right? If you uh, 
take a trip to Israel with us one day. We can go visit Nazareth, and uh, you can have a sweet meal up on the hillside. Very nice. Um, this is a city called Sephoris. Never mentioned, per se, in the New Testament, but a very important city in Jesus' day. All right? All right? Sephoris. Just, a, just for a minute. Jesus grows up here. Um, Herod Antipas rebuilds this. This is like the capital. And uh, this is a big city. Perhaps Jesus... Perhaps, scholars will say, probably, this is, they're four miles to five miles apart. Scholars will say, perhaps and probably, Joseph, his father, and probably Jesus both worked there. Because he was a carpenter, and this was a major city, and it was burnt down around the time that Jesus was born. It was destroyed, laid to the ground, and they rebuilt it. He rebuilt it. Is it possible that Jesus worked for him? We don't know. He was a tecton, they called it, which would have been a carpenter. It would have gone beyond wood. It would have gone into stone and all kinds of other work. But nonetheless, this was the city that he built. And then later on, he did something. He built another city right here on the Sea of Galilee. And he called this city... Tiberius. One, two, three. Who did he name this city that he built after? Yeah, the emperor, right? Um, I think we have a picture of Tiberius, not an actual picture, but maybe a rendering. So he builds this beautiful, beautiful city along the Sea of Galilee, and he names it after the emperor. Everybody ready? What's he doing? What, what weaselly people do, right? They're trying to get more power. And not only was he naming it after him and making it beautiful, but, but he intended to use this freshwater lake known for its fishing to get a lot of what? So he moves. You can read about it in history. 19 AD, he moves from here to here, to oversee the fishing. Now, when fishermen went out to fish, there was a tax man standing on the shore, right there on the shore, just counting fish. You go, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. They estimate 40-ish percent of your catch and go to taxes. Because he was a good person and was trying to help people in the area, because he just had a heart of gold? No. Because he was a wannabe. And all he wanted was more power. Antipas moves here. Where did Jesus move? Checkmate. city called Capernaum. One, two, three, Capernaum. It means village of Nahum. Not related to Nahum the prophet in the Old Testament, but it was a common name. 
Where was it? Also right on the Sea of Galilee. And when he started asking people to follow him, what kind of people did he ask? Ah, fishermen. I smell something here. I was going to say I smell something fishy, but that would be too over the top. <laughs> I smell something. Remember the scene in the Mel Gibson? Huh? Do you remember the scene when, when he's, he's this warrior with blue painted face and, 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 and the English king that just, you know, the, the, the Antipas of his day, the English king, and they're, they're across the battle lines and, and his comrades, he's all just in a lather, right? And they, they, they go to Mel Gibson, what are, you, what are you doing? And he says, I'm going to pick a fight. What do you think Jesus was doing here? A lot of historians, some of us read this and go, I don't know, he just needed to, he, I don't know, he needed to get out of Dodge. I don't know, his mom kicked him out of the house. Or, or, or was it intentional? 19 AD, it's in history, you can read about it. Was he going to pick a fight? Was he going to say, that's enough? I want to take you on. Oh, don't think the two of them were on good terms because they weren't. Do you remember in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 13, where they tell Jesus, they say, Herod's looking for you. You should run. And he says, you tell that fox. I'm going to be here today, and I'm going to be here tomorrow, and I will be here. I like this. You give him my address. Mm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. You give that fox my address. This is where I'll be. You know, you know, Charlie's learned about Jesus. I love it. You know, she brings home little cutouts from, I love it. I mean, I'm fascinated as to what she thinks about Jesus, right? She's getting these little, these little glimpses. But I don't think any curriculum in any, in any Sunday school, in any church in America teaches that he went to pick a fight. That he was willing, he was courageous enough to stand up to the most powerful people with a few fishermen. People translate that, the fox, what does it mean? And some say, well, it's, of course, it's like a fox is like a crafty animal that kind of sneaks around. And, and of course, that certainly would apply. But, but, but one translator who's a, who a student, a historian of, of historical Jesus says, that was a cultural idiom to call him a wimp. To say a fox was the opposite of a lion, of a powerful king. He was saying to him, you don't scare me. I'm going to be here. You can read it, Luke 13. I'll be here, and then I'll be here, and then I'll be here. I'm not changing course. I'm not going to run. The difference with Jesus' heroism being his fighting would not lead him to their tactics with fists and violence, but his own tactics with serving and humility. He was an oxymoron, man. He was hard to figure out. People couldn't quite figure Jesus out. Because at the same time, he wouldn't back down from a fight when it was a legitimate fight. He wouldn't fight the way they fought. 
His strategy was humility. That's why the disciples didn't get it. They kept going, huh? He says, I'm going to go and then die. There's power in that. And I need you guys to pick up your cross as well. It was this guy. He used a marriage. This Antipas, he used a marriage, you know, he married Herodias because Herodias was basically like Jewish royalty. And so he kind of figures if I bolster my religious cred, the Jewish people will applaud. John the Baptist goes, no, 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 we're not having that. Anybody remember this story? John the Baptist loses his head eventually. Did you know Vladimir Putin had a rally this week? Quoted scripture. Sure. Sure he did. What better place to hide from God than in God? Hmm? What better place to hide than in a church? You can find all kinds of pictures of him on the internet. At church, taking the sacraments, the whole deal. Saying Jesus and following Jesus are very different things. This fox knew, oh, I'll boost my religious cred by marrying this person. You see, what Jesus did was unprecedented in his day because he had the courage to confront the evil that he saw that was going to take these hardworking fishermen and push them all the way down. I don't know about you, but when I see the things that are happening on the news, it's hard to not cry. When you see hardworking people just getting mowed over by a wannabe. I think it was the same feeling that Jesus had when he started his movement. His movement that later, be called, later became called the way. There's a new way. There's a new kind of king. There's a new way to rule. There's a new way to live. And he had to keep teaching this lesson over and over and over again because people were so by habit we revert back to this kind, back to the Antipas way. The people in power use their power to get more power. And Jesus taught the power of the cross. It's not powerless. It couldn't have been a coincidence. As Charlie and I were sitting there last night, and she's... We, we, we had a, you know, a little adventure day. We did a bunch of stuff, and then we came home and watched movies. And she got a movie, and I got... Uh, I'm just clicking through the channels, and Gandhi comes on. I, I told Vicky this. This was a movie that I started watching when I was in college. I would, it's, it would, I'm old. There were the tapes. What do you call them? VCR? VA? I don't know. You might remember them? It was a two-tape movie. And every time I got sick, I would watch it. And there's some great scenes in that movie. By the way, by the way, there is a guy who never called himself a Christian, but modeled his life, modeled his movement 
after Jesus. Something to think about. Is it important what you call yourself or is it important what you do? There's a couple of good scenes in there. And one of the scenes, um, the reporter from England's with him and he's doing a march to the sea. He's going to make his own salt. And he says, well, what if they don't arrest you this time? What if they just leave you alone? And he says, he says, my job is to provoke a response, right? I'm a nonviolent, um, non-cooperative protester. Our job is to provoke them. And he said, we will provoke them. We won't fight them. We will provoke them. He goes, because we're in control now. It didn't seem like it. It seemed like the guys with the guns were in control, slaughtering people, but he knew he had won the hearts and the minds of the people. Are you with me? Are we close? What was Jesus saying? We're in control now. The cross is power. The cross changed the world forever because it won the hearts and the minds of people. And they said, that's true love. That's true leadership. That's heroism. That's the way you live, and that's the way that you lead. Sign me up for some more of that. Anybody with me?